The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coach's Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Crato, and with me, I've got a great guest on, a coach down in Florida who coaches at the collegiate level, who's got some, you know, past few years, had some really good stuff working his way, and now he's in a new position, and he's on to talk about it, and just his journey through baseball and all the things that he's experienced and learned. So, enough from me. Let's get to know Coach. Coach Young, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, Joel, first, thanks for having me on, man. It's uh, a pleasure to, to be on here and speak with you today and, you know, have a good dialogue back and forth. But um, currently the head coach at Barry University, uh, Division II school in, uh, in Miami, uh, right outside of downtown Miami, in a, a town called Miami Shores, and um, had a really successful year last year. Won a region uh, title for the first time in school history, went 35-19, and 19, and our, uh, our head coach actually uh, unexpectedly stepped down at the end of the season right after we got back from Super Regionals. And uh, two and a half days later, I was named, you know, head coach at, at Barry and have been running with it since uh, officially since June 1st. So transitioning from a high school coach to a collegiate coach, right, in the past few years, how has that yep. journey kind of shaped you as a coach? What are some of the adjustments you had to make early on that like, hey, this isn't high school anymore. This is, you know, college level. I think just the, the attention to detail at the college level. Um, obviously, there's a ton of resources that we have at our fingertips and the players have and, and taking advantage of all that stuff. And, you know, at, at high school, it's you're, you're limited on resources and what you're able to do at the college level. You know, we're, we're going to take advantage of everything that's that we have available from the weight room to, you know, on the field to technology. We're, we're combining all that, you know, to, to help develop our players the best way we can. You know, first year head coach, right? What kind of what are some of the the pressures that you feel this year? You know, as a first year head coach, what are some of the thoughts going through your head as you're going into the season? Uh, you know, going into the fall, you know, it was really just getting the guys to understand, you know, how how I wanted to do things, and you know, obviously took a lot from our our former head coach and, and Juan Renero and the way he did things, and he taught me a ton, and you know, I want to put. My, my my twist on it and the way I wanted things done and the way I've done things in the past. And, um, you know, the assistant coaches um, are back with me this year also. So it was it was a pretty easy transition. Um, it's it really now it was just making sure the players knew what they were doing to put us in the best position to win games. So you guys are going to go into this spring, right? And, and expectations are what this year for you guys in your own opinion? I mean, we've, we've talked about it since day one, and, and the goal is, is to go to Cary, North Carolina, and, and go compete for a national title at the World Series. And, you know, the year we had last year and only losing two players offensively um, and lost our Friday night guy on the mound, you know, we feel like we have a, a, an older group that is mature and, and understand kind of what's at stake and, and how to do things. And we, we've just that the goal is to go win a national title, to be honest, you know, but. We're, we're also focused and not looking past game one, game two, and so on throughout the season. You know, we've really tried to hammer home to the guys that we need to win one game at a time and we'll worry about the World Series, you know, come the end of May and early June next year. 
So even before we clicked the record button to 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 mm. capture this conversation, we were talking about Ryan Day, you know, yes. going. I think he's like fifty six and six or something, but because he's lost the three, last three times to Michigan, like his job's in jeopardy. And I'm not talking about you and your job uh, responsibility or whether or not you think you're going to get fired or that. But do you put a lot of pressure on yourself to perform? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's just my competitive nature, you know, in general. I, I expect to win every time I step on the field and. Whether I, I actually think I, you know, I, I believe I can win every time we go on the field. And I try to put that into our players, too. And it doesn't matter who we're playing. You know, obviously, the big team in our conference is University of Tampa. And, you know, I feel like our guys should walk on the field and expect to beat those guys. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. Um, but we have the ability to, to take care of that. And I believe it starts with the mindset. If they believe they can win, I think that's half the battle. You know, it's sometimes you're going against some juggernauts and, you're kind of beat before the game even starts. Would you say that you're obsessed with coaching baseball? Is it an obsession of yours? Yeah, and I think my wife will, will agree with that too. It 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 never really stops, man. I you know, I think most coaches will agree. We don't work a 9 to 5. It's it's 365. It's 24/7. You know, there's multiple times I'll wake up in the middle of the night and something will pop into my brain, "Hey, I want to work on this tomorrow practice and you know, now with the technology, I just put a note in my in my phone and I circle back to it in the morning when I actually get out of bed and come up with a plan for practice that day. Coach, have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? I have not, no. So the idea of the movie, it's on Netflix. If anyone's listening, watch it. it for any coach who, who would answer the same way Coach Young did, or even, you know, myself, my wife would definitely say that I'm obsessed with coaching baseball. Watch the movie Whiplash. It does a very good job of portraying the line of, how far can you take an obsession until it becomes too far? Do you think you ever flirt with that line of possibly like it's just too much of an obsession? Like, do you think the obsession of coaching baseball is a good or a bad thing? I mean, I think you have to have it to be successful. If if you're just there to collect a paycheck or, you know, hey, great, we, we played a season this year. That's not how my brain operates. And I want to be the best I can at, at everything I do, whether – you know, it's baseball or, or being a husband or being a, a father to my son. You know, it's I try to be the, the best in all those areas. And for me, it's it's been trying to find balance in all those areas. You know, and as much as I'll obsess about baseball, when I get home at night, I, I try to make sure that the, the baseball goes out of my mind and I, I focus on my wife and my son at that time. And, you know, now once my son's in bed, then it kind of switches back to, to baseball if needed. Fascinating. So, you know, let's stay on this talk. Cause I, I just find it fascinating because I see it, you know, I coach at the high school level and you see yes. coaches that you look at and you're just like, ah, this, this ain't that serious for you. And I'm sure maybe yeah. you even saw it while you were coaching high school. You're like, man, this isn't, this isn't everything to you. Is it, do you think that part of the reason Nick Saban or uh, I would say Belichick, but Belichick has been a little unfortunate mm-hmm. lately, but coaches like Greg Popovich who has had a lot of success or even like a Tim Corbin, do you think that their yep. obsession goes above and beyond what ours is, and that's part of the reason why they're so successful, or is it something different, tangible that they have? I I, I think the the obsession is there. You know, I would assume it's probably equal or greater to than where we're at as far as being consumed with the game. But I also think the big reason they're so successful is the people they have around them. You know, they have guys and coaches that. Um, that they trust, that implement what they want done, and, and it gets done. So they don't have to do everything themselves and micromanage. They have, you know, people that are highly successful around them. And, 
you know, just look at Saban's coaching tree. You know, it's it's off the charts with successful stories. So let's take us, you know, let's go right onto that path from, you know, what you were just talking about. You're a brand new head coach, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you had an assistant position opening. I know you got guys coming back from last year, but let's say um, yep. one of your guys gets a new head coaching job somewhere and you got to find a new assistant. What are some of the attributes you're looking for in that assistant? I mean, number one, communication. Um, if, if we can't sit down and, and have talks and share ideas, look, are we going to agree all the time? No. Um, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, you know, but the, the more stuff we can put out there idea wise and, and collaborate. And I think that leads to success. You know, I, I, I don't want an assistant coach. That's a yes, man. And just agreeing with me all the time. You know, I, I firmly believe I, I have a ton left to learn as a coach. And if I, if I have the mindset that I know everything and my assistants are beneath me, it's not going to be very successful. So I think communication is, is key and, and trust, you know, that even if we disagree about something, when we go out on the field in front of the players, you know, at that point, it's a united front. With this being your first year there, what are some of the things you're particularly focusing on for to help you guys this spring? Like, what are some of the things, I'm the new guy, I'm taking over. These are the things that I'm particularly focusing on because I think they're going to help us the most. I think ownership and, and just the team culture. You know, I have had a lot of good conversations with the guys on our team. Like I said, our, our team's older. You know, with, with the COVID stuff and, and red shirts, we have guys that are 22, 23, 24. We have a 25-year-old on our on our pitching staff this year. Um, you know, they're grown men. So I want them to have input. I want them to have be able to give feedback and, you know, and, and then have the ownership in, in what we're doing. I don't want it to be a dictatorship. I don't think that works. Um, I think if that, that trust is there from them, too, that they're invested, I, I think it leads to success. What are some specific things that you're doing to help them get that ownership or building that culture? Like, what are some of the things you guys might be doing out as a team? What are some of the things maybe you're doing in the locker room? Maybe some competitive nature things, competitions you guys are doing at practice. What are some of the things you're doing to build that great culture and ownership that you want? Yeah, we, we try to compete every day um, in, in one facet or another. Um, in the fall, we typically are going to enter squad four to five days a week. Um, you know, and it may only be two innings. But we're, we're trying to put stuff on the line. And this is our, our last week coming up of fall uh, practice this week. And, you know, on, on Friday, we'll have all of our pitchers are going to throw. It'll, it'll be a half inning. Some of them may be one pitch. Some may be 15 pitches. Um, they're going to be given a scenario, you know, a certain amount of outs, a certain amount of base runners. And it's their job to, to get out of the inning without giving up runs. And vice versa, the hitters. are Their job is to be able to drive in runs and, and, and you know, create runs when it's tough situations, two outs, that type stuff. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're always trying to, to get them to compete and, and understand, like, hey, there's always something on the line, even in practice. How often do you guys go live versus the development? Maybe – do you guys go live more than anything else? Yeah, so not – it's it's really – it's split. Um, you know, it, when we get into our 45-day window in the fall – um, where we're at 15 hours a week, you know, four hours of that is is in the weight room with our full-time strength coach and, you know, all baseball-specific lifts. Um, and then we have 11 hours on the field, you know, and, and basically divide that over a, a five-day period, a um, little bit over two hours a day. So we'll, we'll spend an hour, hour and a half on development, and then we may inter-squad for a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, as we got deeper into the fall, we would inter-squad maybe an hour, um, just based on, you know, guys that we thought were starting pitchers and 
increase in their workload and, and you know, pitch counts. So how will, will that change in the spring, or are you going to keep it pretty similar so, in the spring? Yeah, and, and yeah it, it'll be a lot more, you know, um, on the development side, making sure the guys are getting enough reps, whether it's defensively, offensively. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then we'll, we'll enter squad two. Probably not go, you know, four or five days a week. We may designate one to two days and, and treat it more like a game where we enter squad for, for two hours just to give guys the, the mindset and the, the practice of, hey, it's it's going to be long days on Saturdays when we have doubleheaders and they need to understand how to work through that stuff, you know, mentally and, and the physical part of it. You know, let's let's touch on the mental side of things. What are some of the ways that you guys as a, as a program really hit the mental side of the game? What are some of the conversations you might be having? Is there particular things you do at practice? Is there particular, you know, uh, activities maybe you guys do in the locker room? Um, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I've heard a lot of things. I've heard teams do book studies, whatever. What are some of the things you guys do? So the big thing with our guys, um, we have sports psychology uh, master's degree at, at Barry, and um, we have two guys or, or – uh, two girls, whatever it, is. it changes each year of, of who's with our team. But we have two people at, at all of our practices and all of our home games that are sports psych, you know, master's degree students. And they do a ton with those guys in one-on-one meetings, um, team team development stuff, help set goals for the team, individual goals. So that, that's been a big positive for us and guys understanding to kind of transition from being results oriented to process oriented and, and working through the process to get the result they want instead of just trying to jump all the way to the, uh, to the conclusion at the end. So let's, let's talk, let's really hit on that. That's some good stuff. Result oriented. Do you think that the athletes and players are more result oriented today than they were, you know, 20 years ago when you were playing? Yeah. I, and I think, you know, look, social media has got positive and negatives, but everything's on film, you know, or video nowadays. And, you know, these, these guys, you know, you see them even in a cage, they take a great swing in a cage. And the first thing that, that they want to do is, is put it on their Instagram reel and, you know, let get all a bunch of likes and positive feedback. Whereas, you know, that's not really how the game goes and, and how life is, you know, you're going to get through struggles and, you know, you got to be able to, to mentally grind through that stuff and, and continue to, to put the work in to get the results you want. And, you know, it's, I think that the social media plays a big part in, in the guys wanting that instant gratification, that immediate feedback of, hey, I got this right, and then people telling them that they did it right as opposed to just kind of trusting that process of, of working through that they're going to get the result if they keep putting in the work. How difficult is it to get them to go from process from result to process? Is that a difficult process? Uh, yeah, it, it can be challenging at times. And, look, obviously some guys grasp it faster than others. Um I found that, you know, for us at the college level, uh, the freshmen and even in the sophomore year, the guys that that tend to struggle with it a little bit more, you know, your older guys, uh, they've been around, you know, uh, long enough and have played college baseball enough years that they understand that they're not going four for four every game, you know, and even if they have an 0 for four with, you know, three punchies, that's that's not going to affect the next game. It's, you know, kind of flush it and, and go back to work, whether it's positive or negative. Is it, you know, for an incoming freshman, is how difficult is it to try to adapt to that collegiate lifestyle of, you know, the hours, the work, the expectations, the standard? Is it typically difficult for a freshman from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely hard. I mean, just the amount of hours that you're putting in between, you know, weight room, going to class, practice, 
And the biggest thing that, you know, and I've talked with our guys this year and it, it came from them. It wasn't even us telling them is, you know, and this was the junior college guy that, that transferred in that said this to me. He's like, coming from JUCO, there was unlimited hours in practice. We went all the time. And now I come here and the practice, two hours a day is not enough. Like, and he's like, I found a lot of fun in finding ways to get my extra work in, whether it's seven o'clock in the morning or staying after practice at night. And, and I think that's what the freshman doesn't understand is, you know, everything that we're doing, and it's a lot more than you're used to, it's still not enough. You've got to be able to put in that the work on your own too. Do you think – I'll put it this way. As a high school coach, what is something I could be working on with my kids in particular to help them get them ready for that collegiate level? Uh, I'll be honest. I think the, the biggest difference in playing as a freshman and – being a guy that red shirts or get minimal at bats or minimal innings on the mound it, for me, in my experience, it's come down to strength. You know, the guys that are physically ready to handle a college baseball season, the fall and the spring, um, typically are, are have a lot more success as opposed to the guy that's coming in that, Hey, he's going to be really good when he puts on 15, 20 pounds. So one of the things that I've read recently I can't remember which NBA coach it was, but they made the comment that the European players are basically going to be taking over and dominating the NBA league. And it's not because their their developmental system, I guess it's partially the way he was saying it, is just better. But it's mostly because AAU ball just does not translate well into the development of players and you know playing in the NBA. And so I'm curious, do you think that summer baseball is a pro do you think it kind of helps with getting kids ready for college? What are your thoughts on summer baseball? I, I, I look, I, I mean, I think it's great. It's a great recruiting tool for for all of us coaches because there's ample opportunity to see as many players as you want. Um, I, I don't think that the it's preparing the guys properly for college because all these guys are doing now is they're taking the swings in the cage with their hitting coach, or you know, they're throwing bullpens, let's say on on a Tuesday with their pitching coach and. They get told how great they are and their swing's awesome. And then they go play five, six games in a weekend. And then they do the same thing the next week. There's not a whole lot of time put into the development side of, you know, especially on the team development of, of having to get through a practice and, and the grind of that. And it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's a tough transition to the college and, and not having experience with that makes it even that, that more, more difficult for the freshman. So like you guys are recruiting kids from all over. How difficult is yep. it to get, you know, 40, 50 guys to buy into one goal that, hey, we're, we're a team. And I know, like, for instance, I'll give you an example. I coach at a very, very small school. Everybody yep. knows everybody. It's very – it's much more easy for me to get all these guys to buy in because they've grown up together. It's easy because they already have a lot of those relationships. They're like, hey, I'm rooting sure. for you. How difficult is it at your level where you're at to get guys from all over the country to buy in to play for one another? I mean, I, I, that's a big talk that we have with the guys when we're recruiting them. And, you know, I, I told the guys flat out, you know, we did not have a good year my first year down here in, in 2022. And, um, you know, we kind of flipped our roster and, you know, we went heavy on the junior college side with, of bringing in junior college guys. And um, I told those guys when they were coming in, man, I'm not bringing you in here to be 500. We're, we're, I'm bringing you in here to flip this thing around quick and, and, and get into a regional and, and see what happens from there. And, you know, I had guys come to me at the end of the year and said, man, coach, you, this is what we're doing, what you said we were going to do. So I think when we're up front with the guys and tell them from from the from the beginning, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And 
this is the standard. I think it's it's pretty easy for them to fall on the line and 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 buy into to what we're doing as opposed to you know kind of changing every day and of how we do things or what we're talking about. So let's stay on this the recruiting side. Take us to the field, right? You're going, you know, maybe you're just driving by. You got a couple hours free. I don't know what you could be doing. Um, yep. And you just stop at a ball field. You see some baseball games are happening. You stop by and you're like, hey, maybe, maybe I'll see somebody. What are some of the things that an athlete or a player can do on the field that would draw your attention to go, I want that guy? I mean, the, the first thing we look for is athleticism. Um, you know, the way I, I, I like to do recruiting is, is through the middle of the field. So, catcher, pitcher, shortstop, center fielder. Um, and then we kind of will fan out from there. You know, we try to bring in those those middle of the field type players and, you know, let bring in two shortstops and let them compete. And whoever wins the shortstop job is the shortstop. The other guy can slide over to second or slide him to third. Um, so, I mean, when, when I'm going out, athleticism is, is going to be the first thing that's going to catch my eye. Usually what goes along with that is, is speed. Um, especially at Barry, you know, we want to play fast and steal bases and, you know, try to take extra bases when we can. And, you know, we don't have a guy that's going to hit 25 home runs. So we're not going to sit back and wait for a three run home run. Um, you know, bat speed would be, um, a, a big key. If, if the bat speed's there, you know, I feel like it's, it's pretty easy to make some tweaks in the swing and, and get guys to be successful. And, you know, and then pitching wise, just going out to a field, obviously, Velocity is going to catch your eye first, um, but the, for me, I, I need guys that can actually pitch. Uh, you know, we have we have guys in 94, 95 that aren't consistent strike throwers, and they're not our best pitchers. The guys that are, you know, upper eights, you know, that locate three pitches for strikes, they're the guys that have the most success. So I once heard this quote uh, from a buddy of mine, and I just want your thoughts on it. And it's metrics mm-hmm. will get you recruited but your actual performance will keep you on the field. What are your thoughts on yep. that? I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you know, the, the metrics are usually what is going to catch your eye. You know, it's, it's tough, especially the level of play and in the sunshine state conference that we're in, you know, kid may be really, really good on the mound, but if he's 80 to 82, it's just not going to play in our conference. Um, you know, and vice versa. Like I, I, I see the guy that's jumping off the charts and he's 92, 93, high spin rate, everything looks good. And then you go see him pitch and balls are flying to the backstop. He's, he can't throw a breaking ball for strikes. It's, it's, it's tough. So yeah, the, the, the metrics get you noticed. And I think being able to go out and perform and execute your job, that's what keeps you in the lineup. Man, good stuff, coach. So let me ask you this in the NFL, right? There's a, you know, science, I wouldn't say science studies show that, you know, 50% of recruits, people drafted in the first round, don't make it more than three years. And I, I, let me translate this into, you know, where you're at. What are some of the reasons that every coach misses on players? Like you think this athlete's just going to be great. And then it's, they're just not. What's part of the things that we're missing when we're recruiting athletes or drafting picks in professional sports that like, what are the things that we're missing when this player just jumps out but for some reason, they just can't do it at the next level. I think, you know, the big part in recruiting, like we just talked about, is the, the metrics and stuff. But really getting to know the guys that you're recruiting. And for us, like, I'm going to try to talk to their travel coach. I'm going to talk to their high school coach. I'm going to talk to people that, that know them that maybe don't have, like, you know, a horse in a race, whether the kid comes to us or not. Um and find out if that kid has that internal drive 
and, and that ability to go do the things that, hey, I don't feel like waking up at six in the morning to go lift, but that kid's there every morning to lift. Um, those intangibles that don't pop out on, on a metric sheet, I, I think that's the big difference. Like, is the kid just happy to be there or is he continuing to work for something beyond, you know, in our case, getting to Barry or like you use the NFL, are they just happy with being a draft pick or are they willing to put in all that extra work to go now be a starter in the NFL and, and stay there for, you know, seven to 10 years. I, th- I think those intangibles are, are the biggest difference in, in why we miss on guys, you know, and it's, it's tough to gauge heart, you know, a kid can tell you everything you want to hear on the phone, but until you get him in that situation, you know, that's when you really find out. And that's why when we're out recruiting, if I see a guy struggle and, and he has failure that day, I'm, I'm really closely watching how he responds. And then I'd like to see him the next day, next game, if possible, to see how he comes back out the next time. And I think that shows a, a ton about their, their character and that internal drive. That's good stuff, Coach. I really like that. I, I always tell my high school athletes that if a coach is there to watch you play, they already know you're good. They're just trying to see. Kind of, they're trying. They're already trying. They're just trying to see how you handle stuff. You know, Agreed. are you are you with their teammates? Are you pouting on the mound? I saw a great clip. What's that girl from Iowa? Clayton and Clark, right? And okay. she was doing an interview, and the ESPN had like uh, just like followed her with a camera during their scrimmage, and her body language was horrible. Every time she misses yep. a shot, her head's in the air, hands are going up, and the guy interviewing her, you know, he's a sports psychologist. And he goes, do you realize that what you do after you miss a shot is more important than you actually making the shot? Because everyone feeds off of your energy because you're the one. So you're hurting the team not by missing the shot. You're hurting the team by how you miss the shot or, you know, how you handle missing the shot. And it's just it's just those things that it's it's so hard to get to athletes. Um, What are some of the ways that you help athletes with that aspect of their game? Yeah, I, I think just having honest conversations and look, look, there's times where you have to have that difficult conversation with, with a player and it's uncomfortable at times, but in the long run, it's going to benefit that, that kid. And, and, and it also helps your program. Like, you know, I, I'm not afraid to, to get on our guys and they're at the point they, these guys that have been here, even with me as the assistant the last two years and now as the head guy, I'm, I'm not a big screaming and yelling guy. Um, so if I do get loud, they understand it's okay. Something's going on here that we shouldn't be doing, you know, for, for coach to be loud like this. And, you know, and then, and then I, anytime I get on a kid like that, I, I always followed up before I leave the field that day um, and have a conversation with them about, Hey, this is what I saw, man. This is why I got upset at this and then get some feedback from them. And I think that trust gets built and, you know, and they understand that it's coming from a place of, Hey, this guy actually really cares as opposed to, He's just trying to be, you know, a, a hardo on me. You know, one of Kobe's quotes is leadership is lonely, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you watch the Last Dance documentary, Michael Jordan yep. is saying that winning has a price, leadership has a price. For you, what's the toughest part about leading a program? I, I just said, I mean, I, I have – so my, my junior college coach who's – my advisor to this day, he, he told me when I became a high school head coach, you know, up in New Jersey, he goes, understand not everyone's going to like you and not everyone's going to agree with what you're doing. Uh, he's like, stick, stick to what your philosophies are and, and what you've had success with doing. And I, I've carried that with me everywhere I've gone. So, you know, I, I fully understand not everyone's going to like me. 
agree with my decisions, whatever the case may be. And, and that's okay. You know, if I'm putting in the work and, and I trust that what we're doing is, is going to work out in the long run, then, then I stick to my, my, uh, my philosophy and my plan. And so far it's, it's been successful. So it's the off season right now. You guys aren't, you know, in season. What are some of the things you guys are doing in particular this off season to help enhance your players? Uh, I, I think just the, the weight room's huge, making sure the guys are physically ready um, to go when you know, they'll be back on campus on January 7th. So it, it's coming quick. And, you know, the, being able to get through a grind of, you know, 50-game schedule, travel, classes, you still got weight room in the spring. Like, it, it's tough. And, you know, the, the weight room, I think, is, is the biggest thing. You know, if you're feeling good physically, mentally, you're probably going to feel a little bit better too. So. You know, just all, all those type things and just try to pump some positivity into these guys that, hey, man, we've been working our tails off and let's keep doing what we're doing and, you know, success is going to come. So earlier you talked about how you guys like to be aggressive on the bases. What are some of the things you guys do at practice to help, you know, help that when it comes to games? What are the things you guys are doing at practice to help you guys steal bases at games? What are you guys working on? What are some drills? What are some things in particular you guys do? So early in the fall, um, you know, my assistant coach, DJ Price, is he's got a, a extensive background in, you know, um, strength training and speed training. So I let him run with that. And, um, and he, he does stuff with our guys early in the fall to the middle of the fall. It was three or four days a week of, of short sprint training. You know, we're not real big on the long sprints or distance. It's It's all about being explosive as we can and working on form and, you know, going to first base and talking about, you know, wh- how to lead off the base, how, how far we should be off. You know, do we have a guy with a good pickoff move versus a guy that's slow to the plate? You know, are we able to, to kind of gamble a little more, all that stuff, and just go over different scenarios, different philosophies, different types of pitchers, and, and put them in, in positions to be successful and, you know, have them rep it, you know, and do it. That way when they get to the game, they, they've already been there and done it, you know, a, a bunch of times and, you know, it's something that, we implemented early this fall that we found really successful was, you know, Rollins College beat us in the in the super regionals and those guys were unbelievable at, at taking extra bases and you know any ball in the outfield you thought they were going for for a double every time and then they would slam it on at the last the last second and get back to first and so you know we implemented you know one of our first inter squads is any ball in the outfield the guys had to go to second base they had to try to stretch it into a double and if if they were busting their tails and they got thrown out by 10 feet, that was fine. We sent them back to first base, but I wanted our guys to get in the habit of, and to learn, Hey, I, I can get the second on this ball where it's real easy just to pull up and take your single. I like that. That's really good. What are some of the favorite competitions you guys do at practice? Uh, we do a lot of competition BP days is the, the guys really seem to enjoy that. Um, you know, we're, Look, we have some guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark, but like I talked about earlier, we don't have a guy that's going to hit 20, 25 home runs. So we're not like a drop and drive and, and lift type of team. And, you know, when we do the competitions, I, I put them in four separate teams. You know, you got four or five guys on your team. And, you know, if a ball gets to the fence, even if it's a ground ball, you get a point. If it one hops the fence, you get two. If it hits the fence in the air is a three. If it goes, If it's a home run, it goes over the fence, it's actually minus two. Um, you know, and try to get them from keeping a ball out of the air, you know, where it's, it's lifting and I want to backspin balls through the fence. 
do you do any competitions with your guys' pitchers? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, you know, more the in-game stuff. I mean, we're tracking every pitch, um, you know, ball strikes, um, the velocity. The one thing we did with the pitchers to really focus on getting them to throw strikes consistently, and, and I didn't come up with this. I, I stole it from a buddy of mine that's the, the head coach at, at Utah Valley, Eddie Smith. And um, I saw he posted on Twitter that he only had like three or four guys' velocities listed. And at the bottom it said minimum 60% strikes. So that's that's what we did. Um, you know, like I said, we charted everything with the velos. I would only tell the guys their velos if they were 60% or higher in the strike department. What's so that? it was kind of, kind of incentive to, to be able to pitch too, not just throw hard. That's good. What are some of the ways, like let's say a freshman or a transfer comes to your program, what are some common things that you see that you guys need to work on them with? Uh, I mean, just understanding how we want things done. Um, you know, we're really detail oriented and, you know, we're not taking any easy routes, you know, just, uh, I want things done the right way. And, you know, even little things, cleaning up the dugout after practice. I I don't want to walk out of there with cups still laying on the floor. That stuff drives me nuts. And just, just getting guys to understand that there's a purpose for everything. And, you know, you may not understand it right now, but you will eventually. And, you know, the guys have done a really good job of, of buying into to all the little things being done correctly, and that leads to, to overall big success. You know, that's funny. I uh, I believe in the same thing. There's a great Ed Reed video where he talks about when he's with the Ravens. Mm, you know nope. what I'm talking about? I do, I do. And he, and he says, no, man, you pick up your own towel and you throw it away. It's freaking embarrassing <laughs> yeah. that another grown man has to take care of you. Um, yep. But, you know, that's almost like the – you know, Ed Reed was talking about this back when he played in the, you know, mid-2000s, and we're still – we go, man, society today, we, back in our day, we would have never, but Ed Reed as a professional athlete saying, and the way I took it is even back then, you know, we were still acting the same way. Um, But it's just, it's crazy. So another question I have for you, you know, and we've kind of touched on this, but what are some of the favorite, how do I phrase this? What are some of your, when you were an assistant, right? Mm -hmm. What'd you work with? Hitters? I'm, I'm a hitting hitting guy, yeah. So, what were some of your favorite things to do with the hitters in the off season? Like, hey, we need to work on maybe it be bat velo, maybe it be the weighted bats, maybe it's hey, we're gonna hit off the machine, hey, we're gonna go sliders off the machine. What were some of the things you were doing with your hitters to help them, you know, get better for the upcoming season? Yeah, we we, we do a ton off off the hack attacks, um, you know, hitting velo, hitting the spin. Um, I'm, I'm not a big believer in just going up there and taking, you know. 45-foot batting practice from a coach throwing 50 miles an hour at you every day. Um, I just I don't think it works consistently. Um, you know, so a, a ton of challenge type stuff. When, you know, as an assistant, let's let's say you're hiring an assistant, what separates sub-assistants from others when it comes to developing players, right? Because that's a big role of theirs is doing more of the, you know, you're doing more of the big picture yeah. stuff and they're doing more of the, you know, developing the hitters, the pitchers. Um so, like, what separates – and I'll use this, like, I'll use the football analogy of, like, why is Lincoln yep. Riley so good at working with quarterbacks? Like, why are some assistant coaches just more effective than others when it comes to getting the most out of their players? I, I think just being truthful with the players. Um, they don't they don't want to hear, you know, nonsense, and um, they want honest feedback from you as a coach. And, you know, 
being able to, to prove to the guys, because that's what it takes. That they need to they need to understand that you know what you're talking about, and then not only know what you're talking about, but be able to implement it too, and and get it across to them in a way that the guys understand it, and then the guys can go implement it. So I, I think just you know having that relationship with the players and that trust factor is is huge. What's something that you in particular want to get better at this off season to to enhance yourself as a coach? I mean, just overall knowledge of the game, man. I, I love sitting down and, and talking with different people and, and, hey, how do you go about doing this? And, and just honestly sitting back and listening for feedback as opposed to sitting there and, and thinking about the next thing I want to say. You know, I, I, I look at myself as a student of the game even to this day. And, you know, the more I can continue to learn, I think it benefits our players and it benefits, you know, the assistant coaches and, and the program as a whole. So just continuing to, to learn about this game and new ways to do things and, and obviously new ways to, to get it across to the players to where they understand it and, and can go and implement it and, and have success with it. So, you know, ABCA convention, a lot of coaches go yep. this January. If you had the opportunity to present it at this this winter, what do you think you'd want to present on? I mean, we, we've had a ton of success on the recruiting side um, since I've been at Barry. So I, I think the recruiting would be something that would be really cool to talk about, you know, at an ABCA. And, you know, myself and my, my two assistants are, are going out there this year um, to Dallas for the ABCA. So, you know, to be able to talk recruiting and, and how we go about it and our philosophies with it and, you know, how to build relationships with recruits and, and all that stuff, I, I think would be really cool to, to be able to present on. So if you if this was the ABCA convention right now, let's say this is the trailer, right, like the movie trailer, what would be a little yep. bit snippet of what maybe that presentation might sound like? I mean, the biggest thing, obviously, is identifying talent. That's that's the number one thing that, that all of us coaches are looking for is guys that can play. Um, secondly, for us, it's really about building relationships with the recruits and, and getting to know them, you know, not only as a baseball player, but as a person. And um, I think that really helps find the, the mold of, of the guy that is going to fit well at, at, for us at Barry University or, or whatever school a, a coach is at. Um, you know, it's it's being able to have not only the most talented players, but the right guys. You know, I, I'd rather have nine of the right guys than nine of the most talented guys that are maybe out there you know, being a little bit selfish and, and only about themselves and not about the team. So, you know, and just making contacts all over the country and finding people you can tr- trust that refer players to you. And look, there, there's no secret, you know, you, to, to successful recruiting coaches, it's the guys that are out there all the time, you know, finding talent and, and being able to, to find the, the whole picture, not just the kid that can hit a ball 450 feet. You know, I was listening to a podcast with Gino earlier this week, and there was two really good things that he talked about with recruiting. One was, you know, when I'm recruiting a player, do I even like this person, right? Like, yep. do I even want to be around this person? And then yes. two, if I if we lose, do I, do I want to lose a game with you? Are you someone that if we lose, would I want you in my locker room after the game? You know, yep. are you someone I can lose with? Um, you know, and G- Gino's got a lot of great stuff talking about I'd rather lose – I'd rather lose than watch the way some of these kids play. And it's just like, yep. wow. And then that's why he's so great is because he, he the winning isn't the important aspect for him is it is the game being played the right way and the way it needs to be played in order for us to be the best. And, you, you know, you listen to Saban. Saban's talking about we're not worried yep. about winning. We're worried about, you know, every single play, every single moment of the game. Are we doing our job, right? He's got the yes. famous do your job. 
if you had to break down your culture into, you know, one word or maybe a slogan kind of like that, what do you think would be used for that? Um, I mean, we have it, we had it made this year and, and put in our, in our, uh, our, our dugout out at the field. And it, all it says is everything matters, you know, from going to class, to the weight room, to the on-field performance, to picking up trash, to saying hello to people walking around campus, all of that stuff matters, you know? So I think everything matters is, is kind of what we've embraced this year and, and continuing to, to work towards, you know, winning a bunch of games come springtime. Yeah. I like that. Everything matters. It's kind of like how you do everything or how you do anything is how you do everything. And I know that some people disagree with that, but like, no, the people who care are people who are always going to care and people who, you know, are about themselves are always going to, you know, act out like it's all about themselves. Like it's not necessarily maybe, you know, I'm not going to work it hard at, you know, some random thing that I might be doing as I may as baseball, but it's, you know, how I treat people. You don't just suddenly, you know, treat people the right way. And then when you're in a different environment, you know, you don't like, Yep. I, who you are as a person is what it's talking about. And some people just think okay. it's, well, no, I, yeah, I love that quote though. So, you know, great job on the podcast today. We're going to wrap it up with two awesome. really fun questions. Um, sure. My first question is this, what's the greatest performance you've ever witnessed firsthand on a baseball field? Sure. That's a tough one. Um, I, I would have to say probably when I was in junior college, um, guy named Billy Grinovics was one of our pitchers and, um, believe it or not, our, our number two pitcher got kicked off the team um, at the World Series. Um, and this guy, Billy Grinovics, had to come in and, and pitch in a spot start in, in game two of the World Series. And um, he, he threw an eight inning, I uh, believe it was a one hit shutout, and we won one to nothing. Like, just absolutely unbelievable. I, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that game the rest of my life. All right, here's my last question before we wrap it up. What's the craziest, yeah. wildest you know, off the charts thing that you've ever witnessed at a ball field? <laughs> Probably parents, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I was, we had a high school uh, tournament at our field uh, last weekend and I was there just helping out doing some of the scoreboard stuff and, and obviously recruiting and watching the guys and just hearing stuff coming out of these parents' mouths. It's, it's, it's crazy to the point where, you know, in the recruiting process, I just, I hear outlandish stuff I'm not going to recruit that kid. I'll write his number down because it's real easy to figure out who, you know, whose parents who, and, you know, we don't want that around our culture. We want the guys that are, are going to be there and, and buy in and look, you, your family's an extension of you, unfortunately. And it's, I've seen it as a high school coach. And now on the other side, as a college coach, parents cost these kids opportunities all the time. 